one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick, here to look ahead to tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, oh. pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week completes with a good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to look ahead to Dynamite tonight and all the fallout from AEW Revolution. But we have waited long enough, and we've sort of you know touched on this in previous podcasts, but Michael Sidgwick, your thoughts on AEW Revolution 2022. I adored this pay-per-view every which way. The primary reason why I loved it is that AEW is inching ever closer to delivering the actual perfect professional wrestling pay-per-view. The last three have been nine point whatever on your scale, if you've got a brain in your head and a love for professional wrestling. All Out, the match quality peaked incredibly high. Elsewhere, it was mostly very good to outrageously great, and it had the momentous debuts of uh, Danielson and Cole and the in-ring return of CM Punk. Full gear. So, was that on? Was that on? Yeah. Yeah. Still my stock in it. <laughs> <laughs> Full gear, meanwhile, in ring, peaked higher, didn't have the momentum, but it didn't kind of need it. You already had CM Punk doing his best thing since returning to AEW, and you could say this about a million AEW things, but one of the best things in the 21st century of professional wrestling, you had the main event gapping off Hangman Page. Match quality across the board was just outrageous. Some of the matches went too long, and I did feel tired at various points. And the build towards it, if you recall, wasn't actually all of that great. No. The build to this pay-per-view was tremendous. Every single match, virtually apart from literally one or two, was tremendous. And they are still waiting that perfect pay-per-view. So the fact the build, the fact the actual show itself, near, near perfect... All I need to do is work on the sequencing a bit, and you're going to get something literally perfect, like just literal perfection awaits us. I will ramble on for another five, ten minutes. Yeah, absolutely. The timing of this is perfect, because I obviously missed the actual review itself, which, of course, you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs> it's a bit delirious. It was about half six in the morning, wasn't it? Quite tired. <laughs> so the timing's perfect, because I wasn't available at that, so I can fill ten minutes here, and Michael Hamflin hungover is currently blowing out of his ass. <laughs> yeah, this is so ideal. This is, ideal. So I'm doing him a favor here. Um, I'll run down match by match and give my brief thoughts. Statlander Hirsch, they worked it with a real intensity, sloppy in parts, but when it was timed well, it was timed incredibly well. Like the pelt from Hirsch's foot to counter the handspring, handstand, whatever, to get into the heat spot. Really well done. Awkward, more than suspenseful, I thought that spot on the rope was, but I thought they did a commendable job, and it was nice to see three women's matches on the paper. Yes. We have been burned before by these so-called slow gains, but, you know, they are. this is an attempt by their standards of booking women. That was a little bit better. Hook versus QT Marshall was great. They didn't even do a hidden cool spot. It was nothing we haven't seen before, but he's still so good. And QT Marshall, such a great bumper. The way he flies around the ring, his stupid face and his great expressions, when he, like gets bumped out of the ring. It seems to f- go for miles and miles and miles. Great slapstick, great showing ass. 
He's got the frame that makes it look like a killer blow has been struck upon him. That was great. Love the finish. The finish was spectacular as well. What a dickhead. What a deserving dickhead. <laughs> mm. The trio's match between the House of Black and Death Triangle was so great in the most NXT of ways. Uh, the build's pretty whatever, but the match itself was fantastic. Eric Redbeard. Eric Redbeard was great. It was so charming to watch him perform out of his goddamn skin. That was great. And I'll tell you one thing. Obviously, everyone's got the same take on the action. Buddy Murphy doing a handspring kip-up was physically impossible. Absolutely <laughs> unreal. His work with Pac was great. Penta was great. Another Escalera destroyer that was just unbelievable. Not Escalera. I don't know what it is. But mm. his crazy destroyer was great. Uh, Malachi Black stuff looked awesome. Brody King was an absolute machine. They did various things in this match where they were rushing into the ring at the same time after like one of these delirious video game sequences and sizing <laughs> one another up. They did a better job of conveying that their opponents had presence of which they should be frightened or a little bit apprehensive than any of the verbiage, any of the smoke and mirror theatrics. They actually used body language to convey that they are quite serious and sinister customers, which I thought was great. Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho was absolutely tremendous. From Genu- moment one. From moment one on the head drop. Chris Jericho was bang up for it. His selling of the neck was great. Eddie Kingston's selling of the eye was great. The counters were fantastic. I just loved how everything's linked as well. If you watch the television, your investment is rewarded. Mm. It's not just like stupid WWE, the segmented thing where, oh, the storylines are nonsense, but the in-ring action is good because the roster is good. It's just so much deeper and better and more interesting and more rewarding than that. Eddie Kingston said to Chris Jericho, I want the Chris Jericho who earned the respect of Tenryu in Japan, and he decides to work a Japanese-flavored match involving loads of great suplexes and a genuine Kabashi Noah special when he just drilled them off the ramp and onto the floor, which looked spectacular. Like, really pissy, intense, hard-hitting, incredibly violent, but the cutoffs were, like, modern. It didn't, didn't feel like mid-90s to all Japan to early 2000s Noah cosplay because Eddie Kingston really likes it. Like, it was... The cutoffs were like proper Jericho. I've got a lot of both of their personalities in this match. The three-way was unbelievable. In trademark Young Bucks fashion, like everything was arranged so that it felt organic, even though they are rushing from spot to spot seemingly on paper. The way the storyline between the Bucks and Red Dragon uh, played off the action. Like, the synergy between the two things was incredible. So you had the Young Bucks and Red Dragon arguing on the outside. They weren't just waiting for a catch because the Young Bucks are too clever and too good at their craft to just wait, arms outstretched, where approaching a dive. They can weave story beats into the action so seamlessly that it never feels like this rehearsed, you can see the strings deal. So when they were arguing with Red Dragon on the outside, Kyle O'Reilly was Great value. Oh, I forgot. Ah, I forgot. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So when they're stationed ringside, it actually means something into the story, mm. involved in the story. And then Jungle Boy does a spectacular high spot and dive. Luchasaurus did m- way more than his usual. I can do cool things on a limited basis, and I know when to do them. It was so much more than that. He was genuinely up for it. Jungle Boy did some physically impossible things and some incredible modifications of the stuff that he usually does. I thought Nick Jackson in particular was like, we haven't really worked that much and people are forgetting just how good this team mm. is. So that was absolutely spectacular as well. Uh, the ladder match. A quick word on, because we haven't really had a chance to mention it because of the madness of the weekend. Quick word on the three-way from Rampage as well, because that was sensational. Oh, Christ, I'll be here all day if you ask us to talk about that. <laughs> like, it's one point I really resented the heel, the baby face for teaming up on the heel. And then I kind of just dropped my pedantic head because the action flowed so well and it was so white hot and Andrade is like the umpteenth person I want to say you have that TNT title because it means they're going to be on TV more working 12 to 15 minute matches all the time he's actually over now like on a night that you get Andrade in the House of Black over that must be a fabulous show the ladder match even by they still can't do multi-man matches as well as WWE I will contend that WWE have had years more practice, but like all of these guys kind of, I don't know, it just felt like even by the standards of a multi-man ladder match, there were stupid logic gaps and glaring moments of overselling on the outside. Did your spot though? They did my spot and they did it even better than I thought because it arrived at Orange Cassidy's like secret gimmick of being the smartest guy in the room. Not only was he doing that, but the it, the athleticism required to do these things was absolutely unbelievable. A stupid decision, ostensibly, for Wardlow to just retreat up the ramp with powerhouse Hobbs. Not only were 
the other people potentially about to recover and climb the ladder. There were already ladders in the ring. There was a gimmicked one that they did the spot with. So it was kind of stupid and goofy, and there were plot holes in it, but the peaks were so high that I could not have a great time. And it existed for one reason, and that was to get Wardlow over. And the second, his absurd vertical leap onto the suspended ladder happened. I was just like, right, okay, well, that's the reason why he did this match, because that was an incredible spot. And Keith Lee yeeting Cassidy. Yeah, it was almost too good. Almost too yeah. good. Um, Conti versus Cargill. It wasn't great. There were moments where you could see that they were obviously whirring through the gears in their heads about what position they needed to be in to execute the next spot, which just always breaks the spell of suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. I am pretty much reciting my star ratings article. I apologize for that, but the mega fans will forgive me. But they had such presence, and I like the contrast between the characters and the fire against the arrogance. It just really worked nicely. It was a nice bit of business as an attraction rather than a match in itself. Did you get the uh, CM Punk Ring of Honor theme bit? Because I'm so, some people have been a bit yeah, justified by yeah, that. Yeah, because I watched Ring of Honor on DVD form years after, like, 2003 when this originally happened. And Excalibur explained and it. And Excalibur explained it. And as Hamlet wonderfully pointed out, Cult of Personality feels like a party-rousing tune, and it needed a more significant, serious, solemn, almost intense song to put over the fact that this was CM Punk. It's a good job he did explain it, guys. <laughs> Imagine if he didn't explain it. Yeah, you're going to have to do this every time. Yeah. It's how, how, how would this have been hypothetically in this situation that I'm now going to complain about that didn't happen if he didn't explain it? It still would have been really cool. Come on, AW. Another point of an audio podcast <laughs> is have a more conversational tone and not recite the stuff that you say in articles, but I had a really good, like, apt bit of uh, wordplay. The story beats in this dog collar match was beautifully linked as the chain itself. Just everything mattered. Everything built to this incredible crescendo. And my main take was that this was the best cinematic match of all time. And <laughs> what I mean by that was the, the, the sounds of AFI, Miseria, Cantaire, the cop-out, the fake-out, with Cult of Personality bleeding into MGF's theme. Even the shot composition, the story as well, the way it was done was, obviously they treated it as their ode to Roddy Piper, but if you look at the way that they did the actual match, how everything mattered, how the action was understated, how it was all sort of worked with the idea of the finish in mind, it was almost directed in the way that Bret Hart used to direct his matches. And if you look at the way they treated the thumbtacks as well, they treated thumbtacks like Terry Funk and Atsushi Anita treat um, triggered explosives. And, and when you watch that happen in that dog collar match, you think, why doesn't everybody else do that? Mm. Why is nobody else dragging as much suspense as humanly possible out of a thumbtack spot? Because you absolutely 1 million percent wouldn't want to land on it. I know that Foley and Orton did it incredibly well at Backlash, but this was something else. And they did it twice as well, which is just total perfection. It was like... They treated it like a bomb because it kind of should be. You don't want to land on thumbtacks. I like the ref accidentally hitting one when he was going for a pinfall. Yeah. Like, Jesus. There were a few awkward moments with the chain, yes, but this match was so impervious and everyone wanted it to be so great and it was so great that when MJF had to go in and out of the ring, otherwise they were just going to get like horribly linked Ugh. and stuck to it, it just worked in the favour of the match because CM Punk was scheduled to reverse the tombstone. So in reality, he kind of recovered. It's a match that was great in itself, great in headcanon. So good you've watched it again? Indeed, I watched it again last night without the anxiety of, oh, the chain could go wrong, or I'm worried that the investment of the audience is going to be there with me and I'm going to feel disappointed. Has Punk gigged too deep? Yeah. and that my main worry watching it, it first time. It was terrifying. It felt what, a, what a bleeder. Oh, an incredible what an, bleeder. What a stunning bleeder, Sam Punk is. Incredible blade job. Incredible anxiety, suspense catharsis, sense of justice, and genuinely the shot composition of the diamond ring being the focal point, and you can kind of almost see Wardlow and Punk blurred, was just incredible. I Genuinely what I mean by cinematic, mm, from yeah. start to finish, this is worthy of cinema. That's how unbelievable it was. Um, Conti, uh, sorry, Anna Jay, Thunder Rosa, was taking the piss. What they Brit did... Baker, Thunder Rosa. Yes. What they did was they... In lieu of any actual storyline build, they did a match with 17 minutes of build on a pay-per-view that required to go no longer than it did to service a, a, a match that's going to be rescued by its geography. Not good enough. Absolutely not no. good enough at all. And the work, there were several points where, like, I thought 
big. It was narrowly going to get dropped on her head, and she just tucked it the last minute, which is more terrifying than something like Io Shirai, for example. So imagine that the um, internal justification is, well, actually, this is the perfect match to follow Punk MJF because nothing can, and this is the one where we're not going to give the people what they want. So there's no, there's nothing better, but that sort of punishes them, punishes yeah. Baker and Rosa as the build did. What a sandwich they're in. Follow, the, follow that, and then we'll put Moxley and Danielson on. Would na- Moxley and Danielson couldn't pick them back up straight away. Yeah. Like, yeah. the women were knackered. Yeah. My take, so it just wasn't, the action wasn't great. The storyline was incredible. It's so obvious where they were going that even it's the destination that people well, probably wanted it a year ago, but not so much anymore. It didn't, like, register as something like, oh, we can't wait for the destination here. It just felt like they were mucking about at the expense of the hard work of the women. Why go 17 minutes? Go 12, like the pay-per-view needed it. They were really struggling, and it was unfair, basically. I just felt not particularly nice watching this one, um, but I felt not particularly nice watching the match that followed, but in the best possible way. <laughs> it was almost self-indulgent. This was not mainstream arena-sized professional wrestling, and my take was, even if they did this first, I don't think they would have grabbed the crowd any better than they had when it appeared on the show. For my personal tastes and for the work itself, I thought... Danielson Moxley was incredible. So hard-hitting. Like, I was talking to Hamlet about this in the office. We'll remember WrestleMania 12 when Roddy Piper punches Goldust in the face. It's like, oh, my God, wrestling's real. <laughs> People told me at school that it isn't, but it must be because... And then they, they were doing spots like that when they're trapped in the triangle. Just his fist right up against his face. That's yeah. where I'm going to hit you in a minute. <laughs> and again, you can pour over the televised build for clues of what's going to happen. And it seems obvious that this was going to happen, but it happened in the best possible way. Gore and beautiful pro wrestling violence foreshadowed the finish in which they both bled together and at the end it felt like someone really wants them to team together. It was grapple, which isn't my favorite genre, but it was done so well that I just absolutely adored it. It just felt violent. It felt like the match that they've wanted to have, that they've dreamt about idly in WWE, but can never, ever have. Mm. And I can't begrudge them for having it, even if it didn't necessarily work for that specific crowd, because I loved it personally, and I want the best for these two very nice men. Uh, we were talking about this. I think I mentioned this on the review at the time. How can you go about constructing a match that ends organically in that kick fight? You, you cannot just get to that kick fight they had within the, like, the constraints of a generic wrestling match, even a very, very hyper-technical one. They were sat down, interlocked, booting each other square <laughs> in the head. You kind of have to arrive at that through the way they did, rather than just like headlock takeover, lock up, leapfrog, all that. It just doesn't wouldn't work. It wouldn't feel right. Conversely, what I've been saying as well, like I, I don't know how it didn't work for the audience in a way because I've never had my leg worked on by a shooter. <laughs> I have never been stretched. I've been winded, and it's horrendous. And John Moxley conveyed how horrendous it is to be winded. So I just thought maybe it was too simply too unusual for a mainstream audience, even though I thought it was absolutely incredible. The critical reception to it was genuinely like really effusive. But I just think it was worked stylistically so strictly as a fight that could really hurt and really viably, feasibly happen that I just didn't connect with an audience trained to watch pro wrestling. Your reaction when Regal came out to separate <laughs> and then slapped the taste out of their mouths? Legitimately... I'm not quite as high as everybody else. Firstly, I got panicked by everyone's takes of, oh, he's going to be the uh, the on-screen GM. No, they <laughs> battered NXT. Why would they steal their key device? It makes no sense. Why would they wait for William Regal to get fired by WWE to then make the decision to be the booker? My rational mind says this, but when you come out and he's being dad, you get a little bit frightened. Nor do I like what Regal did in NXT when he was like considered harder than the wrestlers. I will let this play out, and I've got no doubt whatsoever it will play out wonderfully. But I don't want to see people slapping John Moxley. The fact that John Moxley doesn't get slapped meant it was genuinely like possibly an earned moment, but it still registered with me in a in a more anxious way than something to get really excited over the prospect of. Um, but William Regal looked incredibly hard, <laughs> mm. like so hard. He looked worthy of the respect that was so often booked for him in NXT. Mm. His body language is tremendous. Maybe it is the case that AEW is so much better than WWE that they just get things that the other company don't. There are different shades of reverence, aren't there? The yes. scripted reverence within WWE often feels forced because it is. Whereas you kind of, a John Moxley and a Brian Danielson standing down after the fight they've had, 
that speaks for itself more than a long-winded scripted promo yeah. celebrating a guy's career, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I will let it play out. Uh, before we move on to the <laughs> mad six-man inv- also involving an old dude, um, <laughs> we did, forgot to mention him earlier, uh, Shane Strickland. What a reaction for him. It was more subdued than I thought, to be perfectly I honest. I just like the call and response. I thought the call was, and response yeah. was good, but that is what I was going to get to, is that he manipulated the... He didn't get, like, a mega pop. He didn't get the regal pop on the same night. No. But he manipulated the audience with his showmanship and his promo ability into thinking he's a star, which is absolutely half the battle. Um... I don't know if he's going to play face or heel. I love the lack of bombast. I, I welcome a bit of that. Yeah, I think there's, there's less of that than there is more in AEW, and I think that like that could actually really help him. There's, a, just, there's a contrast there. I was just looking around, going, "Where's Top Dollar? When's he getting here?" <laughs> Never. <hopefully. laughs> the trios match, right? See, uh, Tony Khan's book of the year. He frequently does things that go against the grain of what you would think would work. And he makes it work like pairings. Think, oh, them two together. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Why wouldn't you have done that before? His reasoning, I think, was don't do a cooldown match. Do the maddest match possible in the most compact time frame that you simply cannot feel tired at any point because there is so much incredible, incredulous action unfolding in front of you. This is excellent. This is genuinely excellent. I thought it was inspired for the spot. It was dumb, incredibly dumb. But even within the dumb, heightened sting, does stupid spots that he shouldn't be doing. Sammy Guevara is going to end up seriously injuring himself. Like it wasn't narratively elegant as a match, but it also kind of was. And for the first time, I thought, well, AHFO are actually somewhat useful because if they weren't there, the plunder spots would have been laborious if it was the people involved in the match. But they kind of just had AHF. AHFO lackeys do it, not disrupting the flow of the action, which was flitting between camera and camera because it was all over the place. It was genuinely the dumbest possible wrestling, very intelligently laid out to make it never feel boring or ponderous or contrived. Shout out to, because everyone obviously talks about the Sting Andrade spot or the uh, Sammy Guevara, um, Isaiah Cassidy spot, or the Darby Allen coffin drop, for example. I want to give a shout out to Jose, the assistant for that Darby Allen Lord <laughs> bin spot. Yeah, and not only did he was he game to take it, and it just added to the carnage that not only are the wrestlers taking these ridiculous bumps, but like the utterly superfluous, <laughs> like laptop wielding assistants are doing it as well. It just added to the carnage. Like, he never does anything bad. He didn't really feel like a <laughs> sense of justice of all that meddling, interfering manager. Like, he does do that to an extent, but he's just... Like, I mean, he's jacked. We know he needs taken he's out. Yeah, like, you know, that's you know, a, you know on the he's street. a threat. We were watching that, and he obviously gets involved. I think Sting initially started beating him up, and I was just sat there with Phil going, take his top off, Sting! <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, it was so such a... Like a mainline blast of dopamine that you couldn't, you're just like suddenly awake all over again. So the regal thing, that thing's like, right, I'm up for the main event. They've solved the main event problem over the last two pay per views. All Out didn't have this. It had the closing segment, but not the main event. Over the last two AEW pay per views, through like really inventive things and sequencing, they've solved the main event problem. One of them was the power of the Omega page story as well, but you know. However, which way they've arrived at it, they've arrived at the solution to what was really becoming a problem. Um, and that informed the atmosphere and the gravitas of the main event, which I thought was excellent. Nothing too ambitious. It was more execution than story. It was a back and forth 25 minute match between two really athletically capable wrestlers. Didn't reinvent the wheel of modern hybrid super indie influenced professional wrestling. They simply executed it better than most other people in the world. The timing of the super kick moonsault counter, the sheer impact with which Hangman Page beat the sh- out of Adam Cole was incredible to watch, really absorbing on that basis. And I legitimately added an extra quarter star for the, the knee pad spot. Just the little details that AEW can do better than literally any other promotion, and I'm even including possibly Peak New Japan Pro Wrestling in this. They just think about this and relish this so much. Um, I didn't think it was the best idea to mirror the TV go home heat angle at the finish because the crowd obviously chanted for Adam Cole and it was in Florida and Cole's from Florida and Cole is way more over than anyone some of the people in the building might not like Hangman's gear yes there's that as well (laughs) there is that as well but ultimately it was a triumph I 
thought honestly, because I didn't really advance anything between the books and page, the add-ons at the end were probably a little bit unnecessary, and they'd already done stink goes through three tables, don't do anything related to a table after the fact. There are still little discipline issues that in the moment don't matter that much, but yeah, this match was killer, and it didn't need all of that stuff. All in all, this was an absolutely tremendous four hours. One more thing, the too-long discourse, I missed the buy-in, so maybe I would have felt a bit more tired during Mox Danielson and Rosa Baker otherwise, but I love this promotion. It's on fire. I was absolutely serviced. They should experiment with it once, though, three and a half hours instead of four, or sequencing it better so there's short... In New Japan, every match is longer than the next. When you put it like that, it sounds like it drags, but it doesn't because there's no 20, 25-minute match that just deflates the audience, and then they do something else, and it has to peak and valley. It just goes up in a curve. If I would like them to experiment with them. I would like them to experiment with that format, the end of the peak New Japan format, just once because enough people are saying, even if I subjectively didn't experience it, I'm sorry for how long this is going, enough people are saying... Um, yeah, the pay-per-view was incredible, but it was a touch too long for me. Not only did more and more people say this on Sunday night, people have been saying this the whole time. Mm. Try it once. Try it once to or get from a 9.5 to a 10. Or just start it at 7 p.m. because then it means it's slightly easier oh, for us British fans. Not to be, not to be like insular or myopic about this, but there's not worse than like scrolling down social media and seeing American fans being like, oh my God, it's so late because it's hitting midnight or whatever it is over there. It's like... When it's midnight here, we've only got one hour left to wait. <laughs> like, we've all got our own different complaints with the length of these pay-per-views. Something that's tied to that length. I was thinking about this after the show, and it's funny you mentioned, Cedric, about the table. That wasn't something I'd considered, but, like, I'm a, normally I'm a bit of a stickler for discipline about seeing the same thing across multiple matches or whatever. Particularly when it's such a diverse, stylistic show. Well, it, it's been a Ring of Honor week, and I know this is something that Ring of Honor and PWG had as part of their, like, locker room ethos, was they batted back the idea... Um, that WWE used. And I, and I understand this from WWE as well, about like nobody going near the Spanish announce table or whatever. You know, they put the signs up backstage. Nobody do this, nobody do this because of the main event or because of whatever. The whole like, point of Ring of Honor and PWG was top it. Like, no limits, top it. Whatever happened in that last match, if that got over, you've got to get more over. And that was instead the challenge. And both philosophies, I think, have merit, quite honestly. And it feels a bit like the length is to allow for a version closer to that. But again, in terms of striving for perfection, maybe AEW find the compromise between both of those. Maybe you do preserve something for your main event to feel like a main event, and that way WWE have always fiercely protected it, but not at the expense of everybody else Mm. looking at the last match and thinking, right, my job is to try and get more over than that last one, because that's obviously beneficial to the products at large. It was more of a problem at full gear. Then again, the crowd was white hot for literally all of full gear, so maybe it was just a problem for tired Britain. I can think of one match (laughs) that lost them at full gear. Was that? He's all right. He's gone now. <laughs> he's gone to WWE. All right. The Cody verse <laughs> fell apart. Um, <laughs> one final question before we look ahead to Dynamite tonight. Uh, Hamlet said this was your favourite uh, AW pay per view ever. Yes. Where's it rank for you? I've got total cop out joint top three, and it's the last three they've done. There you go. I think I said this on the thing on the review on Sunday. I honestly think. Um, all Out will be remembered as, and people saying it straight away afterwards, the X7 comparisons, I think along those same lines, like Revolution will be the Canadian Stampede. That 1A, 1B, like, not so much a hipster's choice, but just as memorable, but in a different way. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Right, let's look ahead to Dynamite tonight. <coughs> well, all the fallout from Revolution. There's there's matches to talk about. There's a title versus streak match. There's effectively a number one contenders match. Uh, Chris Jericho addressing Eddie Kingston, and yet for me, Sige, there's only one place to start. What happens with MJF and Wardlow tonight? Wardlow obviously will face the winner of Guevara Sky, but, I mean, he's employed technically right now by MJF. I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by this as well. It's just incredible episodic TV wrestling. It won't, I don't think, be as simple as Wardlow rips up his contract, wins or gets screwed out the TNT title, the feud with MJF proceeds with or without it on the basis of the result of Wardlow's TNT title match, and then they book, book a feud. Someone tweeted me, and I'm sorry for, get, for forgetting your handle, because I think this is genuinely a great idea. What if you put a non-compete clause <laughs> in the contract, and then people are made to wait and want Wardlow more? The only issue with that, and it's kind of an issue with Ill, the only minor flaw of the storyline, and it's not a... It's, Flaw the the MJF Wardlow storyline in isolation because they've done such a good job of it. Is that on the go home dynamite? MJF threatened to um, like he basically said something to the effect of you won't be able to feed your family if you turn on me as you're kind of threatening to do right now. So think about your priorities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Tony Khan signs everyone. He's not going to not sign Wardlow. That's the only problem. Yeah, the kind of Lack of discipline or just enthusiasm to sign and present all these great talents, whatever you want to, whichever side of the fence is it, makes one story beat in this incredible narrative a little bit hard to buy. Um, so I don't know how that, that might be jarring in the weeks ahead. I just don't know. Um, but this is AW. They don't do stupid plot holes. They've earned our trust. Um, so I don't quite know the answer but Wardlow certainly got the match. They're not going to not deliver it. Um, maybe MJF as a heel could say, well, you're not all elite, and then Wardlow could do a squash, like a late-in-the-day announcement of a squash, and then he comes out, and he's presented with a contract by Tony Schiavone, and MJF could be a complete cock to Tony Schiavone, get his heat back, if mm. you like, following um, his loss at Revolution. There's a million ways they can go with this, and they should all be fantastic. It's quite a nice detail that exists in AW law, that um, the administration will allow a little bit of leeway against MJF because he's just complete arsehole. You've got Tony Schiavone, other than the one week where MJF poured his heart out, just refusing to be nice to him on commentary. So that's the one area where he can't be a professional because MJF is just that hideous. That awesome referee spot with Cody. Yeah, I got him and he can have one shot. MJF is the like the exception to the rule of the rules themselves being enforced in this universe. So something like a no-compete or something like, well, no, you work for me. And then AEW's administration through Tony Khan or Shivani, whoever, going, well, not anymore. He works for us. As a, just another way to be like, you're a dickhead all the time. And then once every now and then we get be a dick to you because you have this coming. It's it's not out of the realms of possibility. With the, you couldn't do it with every character, but you can definitely do it with MJF. I know he promised to let Wardlow, uh, you know, if he won, keep the title match. Mm. Uh, anyway, he tr tries to change that tonight and says something along the lines of, well, clearly you're not that responsible when it comes to looking after rings or something like that. I don't know if this is a bit of WWE brain from me here. I want the, I don't want much from MJF or CM Punk. Tonight. I, like, I want something from, like, Wardlow. I want to see Wardlow, or I want Wardlow to be involved in a, a squash or something, as he would have been normally, because it was already prearranged before Revolution, and he's just acting out, you know, his contract is normal, and Sean Spears is there, and there's this, like unbelievable tension between Spears and Wardle now, because Spears is too scared. But every single time Wardle turns his back, Spears is rearing up with a steel chair, and then he can't. You know, something like that. And MJF to be nowhere near it. I, I do actually quite like it when, and this is a, you know, a WWE thing, but often it's because they just want to skip a week because they don't have to think about stuff. But there's a war that can be sold here from MJF and CM Punk, and I don't mind. I'm not saying put the brakes on anything, but you put pause on it for a week while they sell the effects. MJF, you remember after the, the Derby Allen match, they aired that incredible 
promo that he cut. And that was all we got from MJF. And I don't think Darby Allen was even on mm, that yeah. that episode of Dynamite to sell the effects of just what a hard-hitting match this was. That was like that was a bloodletting on Sunday. It's okay with me for them to be absent players and maybe use some of the ancillary characters in the Wardlow story before you get to the MJF thing. There are a few incredible memories to recall from the gap between full gear 2019 and, and the end of the year because that's when like AEW kind of went, ugh. <laughs> Very un- uneven is the word. So still some great stuff. But I loved how after Full Gear 2019, there was a st- interview with Kenny Omega with the doctor, and they were just saying, I've not been cleared to compete because you've taken a battering in this great violent match that you have to sell. And Kenny was like, what about Mox? I was like, oh, no, he's fine. And he battered Nakazawa, um, and it was just like, that's been sold. So like this absolute badass just waved off the effects of a match because he's that much of a badass and the guy who lost couldn't even get cleared to compete. So there's wisdom in that. Selling isn't just clutching a limb in agony. Mm. It's so much more than that and I kind of, I'm with Hamlet here. Uh, like I said though, Wardlow will face the winner of the title versus streak match tonight. It's Sammy Guevara versus Scorpio Sky for the TNT Championship. Thank you to those people who shared with me the clip from Sammy Guevara's vlog where he tries to justify the fact he's got two belts. Still not justified in my opinion. What is this? He says, uh, uh, shout out to Ricky Starks who questions him about it, clearly listens to the podcast. Thanks, Ricky. Um, <laughs> roll the R's on the Keith Lee impression. That's what's <laughs> He says, why have you got two belts? And he says, well, uh, you know, uh, he's mentioned before, I beat Dustin for one and I beat Cody for the other. <clears throat> and he compares it to um, when they unified the WWE championships. So when you had uh, Orton and Cena and that, and then he said, oh, yeah, you know, the big spot from WrestleMania 30 with Brian with both belts. And I was like, that was a title unification. What wasn't an interim, wasn't the interim world heavyweight championship in the WWE championship? It was two separate belts. Yes, that got merged, but there were still two belts. That's an interim title. Scorpio Sky solves your problem tonight by beating him. Yes. And that's the end of that. I, like it's, We were talking about this today in the office, me and Sidric, and it wasn't with the most... I don't want to speak to Sidric. It wasn't with the most enthusiasm that we were talking about this title change, but there is definitely some logic to it. Um, Nearly a year, pretty much a year to the day, actually, Scorpio Sky so, is very undefeated in singles action. So Scorpio Sky... I hated that, in truth, um, him raising this very, very valid point with very little argument being put forth until that tweet from Tony Khan. And again, this is a little bit bubble stuff, in truth, but that tweet with Tony Khan being like, I've bartered for this and X and Y, and this is how it's going to work out. It's worked out eventually, and I don't like the fact that like AW administration have been made to look a little bit stupid by Sky not getting this opportunity. But we are here now, and I actually think the payoff to all of this should be that Sky wins. There should be a sense of vindication for Sky and the men of the year. Um, or more specifically, I guess, like the American top team with Dan Lambert around them, as this, well, yeah, we were right all along. Uh, Sammy Guevara has been killing himself these last few weeks. And going back to selling the scars of war, the pay-per-view, the fact he did the triple threat on the Friday, like two days before, and he got banged up in that, and then he went straight on. Like, sell all this. Tell me that you have, like, kicked ass as best as you can as a champion, but it's caught up with you against a guy who sat in the skybacks in the cheap seats at the <laughs> pay-per-view, having the time of his life, sipping on cocktails and waiting for a free hit, basically. If Sky doesn't win this... I mean, his complaints made things difficult narratively anyway, but he can never complain again. There are a bunch of absolute losers if he can't beat Sammy Guevara. It like, tr- like, narratively speaking, really, um, he's won and he's won and he's won and he's won. The guy is absolutely knackered, and the argument will be, well, you had one challenge. All of these matches you've been building up, your win-loss record and have been losers on dark, and now you finally have one of a certain pedigree, and he's beaten you. I, I don't. Of course, you can reheat anyone. I just think it's a hell of a shift trying to get like the men of the year or Scorpio Sky back if he doesn't win. There's lots to consider here. Lots of different sprawling ramifications. So, a quick note on the perspective quality of the match. Scorpio Sky is vastly underrated. Mm-hmm. Remember that match with Ben Carter? It was mm. incredible. However, there's been certain occasions. What happened to Ben Carter? That's no, great, wasn't he? He was really good. It's such a shame. There are moments where Scorpio Sky's not worked to the spot, like against the Chris Jericho singles match and stuff. So the, the jury's out on just how much of a story is. And realistically, I was talking before about Andrade being a potential TNT champion in the wake of his incredible run of form recently. I still want Danielson to be the TNT champion. Darby Allen could win it back. Eddie Kingston's there. MJF's there. 
Scorpio Sky's never in my head as the next TNT champion, if I'm being brutally honest. So, uh, I don't know. I he's, don't he's, know. A, he's a he's a, like, a guy to move on, at least as a heel. Transitional champion yeah. to get to Wardlow. So there is that. But if you look at the big picture and how things like to, you know, deftly dovetail on this television show, it doesn't look like an accident to me that they are hyping up Paige Van Sant. I was just about to ask you about this, yeah. They're doing something with Paige Van Zandt and Scorpio Sky in the TNT Championship all on the same night. Could they be heading towards making this sort of men of the air American top team act like a big narrative concern? So the signing of Paige Van Zandt, she, she associates with effectively a loser with mm-hmm. Scorpio Sky not winning the belt. And if you look at the timing of the rain, Sammy won this before full gear. Like he's had this, give or take two weeks, for ages. Like he's got so much less time. It's sooner, it's so much quicker. So much, Jesus Christ, I'm so tired today. We are nearer the end than the beginning. Mm. Certainly, whether it's Wardlow or Scorpio Sky or whatever. The dynamic of the match between Scorpio Sky and Wardlow works more as a heel versus babyface thing. He's going to lose it very, very, very soon, particularly now that they've kind of paced this reign so that it's really felt like an actual good title reign at the very oh, end. Oh, yeah. So I just feel like the switch is imminent. And if it isn't, I'm going to buy it because of how long Scorpio Sky's been complaining about it, how long the title reign's gone on. It's just I feel like the switch is happening. I'm not saying you have to do it via shenanigans, but like you say, it does feel conspicuous that... They, you know, I'm fair, I'm 99 percent certain. I was, you know, it's a bit of a mad weekend, so it's all merged into one. I'm 99 percent certain that Dan Lambert said Paige Van Zandt was going to be signing for AEW at the pay per view officially. Mm, yeah. But the, it's, it's fine. You get around that. She's uh, she's uh, she's all elite, and she's in the skybox, and she's going to officially sign the contract tonight. But if you want something for Tay Conti to do? I, th- I was yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, if, if for for her now, she's just been you know lost out on the TBS Championship. Who better than than her and Paige Van Zandt potentially to do? Guevara could sneak by. Scorpio Sky, furious that after all this time, he's lost this opportunity, slipped out of his hands. They start beating it out of Guevara. New signing Van Zandt joins in, summons Conti, and Conti versus Van Zandt's the program. I would kind of prefer it to go that way because, as I said, like, he might, I reckon this match will be killer, but I just, Scorpio Sky's low on my list of prospective TNT champions. Um, who next for some of the other world champions? We'll start in the obvious place, which is uh, Britt Baker, because they've got... Sorry, where are my manners here? We have um, Thunder Rosa uh, going up against uh, legit Layla Hirsch. And God bless the United States. Um, Who do you think... Well, I think think we all agree, and we all kind of know who's going to win that one. But yeah, who next for Baker? Who next for Paige? Who next for Jurassic Express for usage? I think they're going to do Baker versus Thunder Rosa in a steel cage. It follows the... Um, booking, it's a standard professional wrestling booking practice. The heel, the heel squad completely outnumbers the babyface. The babyfaces loses a genuinely unfair match. They settle a score in a cage match that prohibits the heels from interfering. They'll do it in Texas. And again, St. Paddy's Day slams around the corner as well. Sure, it's sure is. They're going to do <laughs> steel cage, St. Patrick's sure Day slam. Is. So that's the answer to that question. <laughs> if you look at who's won the most and who's could sig- like seriously headline a AEW pay per view, given the last three minutes of Page Cole, this might not be the best idea at all. But it's going to have to be Punk versus Page. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Page doesn't drink or have alcohol problems on TV anymore. It would be insensitive in the wake of what happened with John Moxley, and this company's better than that. Yeah, CM Punk is. He sure is trying to be a babyface. And even if he was going to play heel here, I, just, I think they would absolutely stay away from the drink stuff. Not just the Moxley thing, but maybe. That has changed everything. Cole versus Page. Sorry, uh, Cole versus Page <laughs> versus Punk. Punk. I'm sorry about this. I'm absolutely exhausted. Page versus Punk is the kind of thing where you think, that can't work because it's two babyfaces. The crowd both love them. They don't want to really, like, boo either guy. And they're having a match because CM Punk's got the best record and he can headline a pay-per-view. I would not book this, personally, but if 
any two guys can make it work. They are two of the most intelligent storytellers in this company. I'm fascinated to see how it would unfold, but I feel like that's the direction it can't not be. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, with Punk? And, like, to a lesser extent, Brian, because of his, his trajectory with Kenny and Paige. But it was odd with Kenny and... Uh, sorry, with Brian and Punk, where almost you kind of felt like you could just ignore the rankings for a while. It's going to be like, well, they're not going to wrestle all the time. Or it'll be a while before we have to consider them part of the... But now here we are. It's been a few months, and the rankings have been loyally stuck to, for these guys, at least the point where you can't... Yeah, you can't not do Punk. Punk... Basically, if CM Punk isn't asking the question at this point, or knocking on the door, what's he doing there? You know, like the assembling the, the wins has been about finding himself and just, you know, making sure that he is still the guy that he always thought he was. But he said as much in the go-home promo with MJF. He knows just who the f- he is. And then he proved that on Sunday. So it, that has to be the trajectory. He can no longer just say he is the best in the world. He now needs the thing that defines that and proves it. Um, but... It's really exciting. I, our job as the pundits, really, should be to try and say, well, this will be the thing that is between them that we can see. This this one, you know, we would have had it with Punk Jeff, MJF, or we would have at least been able to fantasy book a couple of different things. I can't see it yet. And typically, we'll think we found the thing, and then the show was the much better thing. Mm. Or the show was the thing you never would have thought of. So, again, I'm, I'm not particular. I don't need it this week. I don't want to put foot to the floor on that right, right now. But I'm just interested in that first comment or that first line from either Page or Punk that is pointed enough, you know, for those of us that pay attention, and we know in the wrestling media that this week it doesn't apply to everybody, but for those of us that watch wrestling that pay attention, there's going to be one word or one sentence in a promo or one little line that you know full well is targeted at that person in particular. And I cannot wait for that because it's it's going to transform that feeling of, oh, is this the right time to, oh, my God, I want that much more than anything. Mm. And that's the magic of, like, really good pro wrestling storytelling. They will do a TV-level title defense a la Archer, a la Danielson, because his company is so incredible, between now and Double or Nothing. Yes. I contend, still, it should be Brian Cage. Brian Cage has recently re-upped to the Vexercise the option to do his contract. He can kind of get that interloper heat, even though he's contracted, but it kind of makes sense. He's the guy who's, he hasn't really bought into the all elite thing. He thinks this company squandered its potential. He can be the heel, not just because he's not Paige, who everyone loves, hopefully still. I don't want it to go off the goddamn rails. Brian Cage can not only say that, oh, I'm going to take this title and whatever, not do the CM Punk thing and leave the promotion, but he can be the heel because this knowledgeable, in the know fan base kind of knows that's his situation. And they're 1-1. Yes, very, mm. very good point. Uh, Humphrey, in terms of the tag team titles, you've had Bucks, Red Dragon, they can spin off in, in other directions with potentially FTR, for example. Uh, maybe the Briscoes. Um, but in terms of Jurassic Express, there's one team that haven't even had the opportunity to, to win an opportunity to fight for the tag titles. Uh, and that's the team that, it's like the polar opposite of what we often say about certain people. And then the bell rang and you're like, oh, oh, mm. oh yeah. That's the opposite for me. Hey, everything else outside of the ring, and then the bell rings, and I love the House of Black. The House of Black. We weren't just um, shown a great match for a great match's sake on Sunday on the buy-in. We were shown why you absolutely can slot them in as tag team champions, because, yes, all three of us think this law is rubbish. Lots of people like it, by the way. I don't want to just speak for everybody, but I like plenty of people also think it's trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, yeah, as you say, when the bell rings, Jesus Christ. Um, I like to think... Me and Sidgwick, day one us on Brody King coming in and being his partner. That felt right. right. As soon as you first saw even sight of him in that vignette, you were like, that tag team is going to work. And then the second they're in the same gear and he just looks like a kind of meathead version of Malachi Black. Like, yeah. And the matches have been ripped so far. Nothing to worry about on that front. Um, it was too easy and convenient that they were left out of both battle royals for the sake of the bollocks with Penta's transformation and the death triangle stuff, which needed like a bullet in it anyway. And we've had that bullet in it now like that that's got to be done like that trio's match at the phoenix weekend. is coming back though so it won't be done oh god dark phoenix that's <laughs> a phoenix i'd like i don't need any more of this but i do want to see like it's i need more alex abrahantes on my screen oh shut up where we are <laughs> what's fortunate is that um the tag team titles i guess the world title isn't either but we've just sort of we started to see an order to things when it comes to the world title you get this tv defense in between pay-per-view cycles that's not the case with the tnt belt and the tag belts um, I think you get to Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus House of Black now 
because it can feel, much like Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker are actually main eventing in two weeks, it can feel when it comes around like a main event worthy match. It doesn't need, you don't need to hold off to double or nothing, or you don't need to find some generic opponents that are obviously going to lose, you know, like when we had with the Gun Club or Dark Order or whatever. Private party. Yeah, yeah. you, you kind of don't need to do that at this point. This match, set for... F- Four weeks' time on Dynamite, so you've got two weeks' space from the cage match between Baker and Rosa. Main events are Dynamite, because you've had a four-week build, you've had tag team champions that feel like they're on top of the world, but even in the meantime, you've got this genuinely devastating heel act that want to start asserting their dominance properly, and you've just told a nice mini-story, and you do the switch, and it feels like a big deal, because they've kind of come out of nowhere, because they weren't competing, they weren't in the battle royals, they weren't visual, uh, they, 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 you know... They weren't sort of visually involved in no, the tag title no, no. picture. So Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, you could sort of logically assume that they've maybe overlooked them as a threat slightly. And now here they are and they're there to be feared and they're to be worried about. So I would, I think you can get to that. I think you can get to the point with those and you get an awesome, awesome match that will end on such a high that I think it's been uneven, but I think people will look back incredibly fondly on Jurassic Express's reign if they lose in a match of the standard that we would expect from those four. Just give it Mox and Danielson. Is that what you think they're going to do? I next? mean, there is that. That would be pretty cool. Uh, I kind of like them more. Yeah. How do you think they follow up that with with Regal tonight? Um, or do they? Right. They will. They'll do something. So not just a group dojo, but you're not getting the alliteration, so it doesn't feel as cool anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like the Big Baller Brand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> William Regal, Lamar running in the ring to break him up like Lamar <laughs> Ball. Bloody hell! Sorry, Salzer. Danielson, hand on my lightweight. <laughs> the story read they bled together that is not just they're not, not getting juice for juice's sake oh but you want to see them beat the house of black for the belts that's yeah that's there <laughs> but so there'll be a heel team that will eventually drift apart when moxley decides that now he's he's a just man and danielson's just a psychopath and that's yeah that's months and months and months down the line but i want mox and danielson they're, they're basically going to do a little bit of exposition and for once i won't mind it to explain what was basically communicated to the audience at Revolution. Regal agrees with Danielson. What are you idiots doing fighting when you could be the best tag team and the best, most influential group of lads to restore wrestling in their technical hard bastard image? How's this then? How's this? Uh, William Regal, right? There's, there's somebody off camera. Uh, William Regal's like, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's been, been too long. I was like, you played your trade very well when I used to work with you. Pull out to reveal FTR. It's all gentle sort of handshakes, and it's all well and good. And then pissed off Tully the next week, absolutely Dex Regal. And that just set up to Danielson and Moxley versus FTR. I mean, that would be absolutely (laughs) unbelievable. Uh, We're also getting Chris Jericho addressing Eddie Kingston tonight, Sid. You didn't shake his hand at the bait. Didn't shake his hand. He's going to be a delusional arsehole. Neg Eddie Kingston claim that he didn't shake his hand because he dropped him on his head. That was a very pointed story beat. Something along those lines. He's going to, might even body shame him, which would be such a dickhead Chris Jericho thing to do. If you remember when he was the champion, he was excellent at saying like, oh, who would do that? <laughs> like, who wears a scarf? Like, he said that to MGF, like, who wears a scarf? He did this incredible thing in the early stages when it was very good, the Orange Cassidy feud, when they did a road two, and he sat there with his aviators, and he, he was talking about Orange Cassidy. He was like, we've got sunglasses inside. There's <laughs> like, one rule for him, and it's another rule for everybody else. He could say something effective, like, how can I beat someone who's so out of shape? It would be a very, very cute Chris Jericho line to do. In any event, he's not going to, oh, I forgot. Here's your handshake. Bye. Let's go on to different programs. Like they're going to step up this rematch. I don't know doing what, but they're going to step it up. Can't believe I'm going to say this. I would, especially if Guevara loses the belt tonight. I would quite welcome an inner circle in ring talking. What the hell's going on? Segment. Never thought I'd say that, but they give you something. They give you quite a nice tease of something with that proud and powerful. We good. We good. Awkwardness last week. Guevara's probably going to fall short. Higgins got like what three weeks left on his deal. Like, it's have some sort of like See his body. He's got like <laughs> let's let's figure that out. Let's sort that out now. Like, what Jericho is? Well, he's turned heel, but in his mind, he's still turning heel. Um, Sammy Guevara is now a fully fledged babyface, even if he loses the title. Proud and powerful have got a choice to make. They have because that match at the weekend has shown them that you cannot be both. Like, we cannot be on screen mates with both these guys. 
I, I sort of want some of this. I want mm. I want I want what's happened with Eddie Kingston to like this this big cold water in the face splash of reality, several different kinds of reality that Chris Jericho needed to make him address the other big thing, which has been this sort of the crumbling facade of the inner circle. So I'd give me a parlay, <laughs> give me a TV. <laughs> I actually want one just to like let's tie, let's neaten all Town of this Hall. up now. Yeah, let's let's just figure you it out. Use that one. <laughs> Yeah, to get the thesaurus out. Uh, finally, Hamflet, um, it's kind of well known that Jeff Hardy is heading to AEW eventually. I think today is the day his 90-day no-complete uh, clause expires. So he is going to be there. Do you think he could show up on telly tonight? Could this be the breakup of the AHFO, which I've now suddenly become invested in, finally, just at the last second? I mean, they timed it incredibly well. Um, yeah, do you see it happening tonight or further down the line or, or what? I, I greatly see it. I think he's going to make it to the top of his profession tonight. The top of my profession. I'm going to leave my feet because I'm all elite. There you go. I'll just wrote a Perox Wygen theme for Jeff Hardy. so well behaved. I was going to do from GFY to Perox Wygen. <laughs> was well behaved. But yes, how do you see it playing? Did you see him, him popping up tonight on the show? I do. Like, obviously, flippantly, that reveals that I'm not terribly excited about it. And it's partly the Matt Hardy rule. Is it like, uh, do we really need... More Matt Hardy content. The Hardy Boys are stars, and they definitely have. There is a short window where the Hardy Boys together doing anything in AW is quite exciting, right? Uh, there's a Young Bucks match in particular that I think the Young Bucks will work as absolutely hard as they possibly can to make feel as exciting as they believe it'll be, even if it won't might not resonate for everybody. Um, yeah, I'm ready for the end of the Hardy family office. The, the match was great. I wasn't ready for the beginning. Nah, this, <laughs> this is the thing, right? You, you're right in what you say. Oh, like, you kind of got a bit of interest now. Like, Andrade is like, really starting to pull it together, and the match ruled at the weekend. But like, does it really still make you care that much about the stable? No. no. It was just these things were good in isolation of that. So I like do a bit of Hardy stuff, but like keep it short and keep it mostly out of my way, and we don't need to fall out. I'm not the biggest Hardy Boys guy. I'm a, right, sorry, Cedric. I'm a Jeff Hardy guy. In my mind, even now, even at his age, WWE dropped the ball and knocked. They ain't got anybody. And he's proven over and over again to be this guy in the face of his own personal demons or a, a certain reliability concerns or if, how much creativity you should let him have, whatever. He does, he, like, numbers back up Jeff Hardy's claim to being a big star. And WWE did not give a toss this time. And it's so weird to me. Well, that's what I was about to say. I'm not the biggest Hardy Boys guy, particularly now that they can't really move around like the Hardy Boys used to. People love the Hardy Boys so goddamn much that if you reunite the Hardy Boys in AEW, I think they might move the needle more than some recent big-time AEW signings. Like, genuinely. Um, So it's an incredibly smart business decision. Uh, Okay. It'll uh, probably do one or two great things. Not, not a big Hardy Boys guy. They're going to be mad up for it. They're going to want. It's not just us that they're going to want to not prove wrong, but you know they're going to be like, oh, we're not, old, we're not too old. We can still do all this. But for me, it's like superstar Billy Graham and Hulk Hogan. So I know what yes. came before, but you know, one of those. Better. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem is as well. Like there, this is not on Jeff, but and and Matt, it's not been for the one to try. And I like to try and have like good faith argument about Matt Hardy. He's not this guy that he's not this intentional disruptor within AEW. He does do his best. It's just that sometimes it doesn't his best doesn't feel that entertaining or the character. Your best isn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I think I think the Hardy Boys will want genuinely to be thought of in the way that Christian is thought of. We can occasionally have a good match and we can help and we can be better for the locker room and better for the product overall. I think Matt Hardy on occasion has made it seem like he can't be that help, but I think they want to be. I think it's all very pure of heart, good faith when it comes to the Hardy Boys. But your tastes, you know, your mileage may vary on how much mm. you're going to get out of them. Well, a highly anticipated episode of AEW Dynamite tonight. We didn't even have a chance to talk about any more Ring of Honor stuff or next for people like Keith Lee, but hopefully we'll deal with all the fallout from it tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, to get that podcast as soon as it is released. Uh, and uh, let us know your thoughts ahead of tonight's show on Twitter at What Culture WWE. Uh, well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Will. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling for daily wrestling podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Preview. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.